Welcome to 42 Answers from Founders for Founders, a podcast series brought to you by Project A Ventures, the operational VC. My name is Rainer Berak, operating partner at Project A, and our guest today is Caroline Weimann. Welcome. Hi, Rainer. In this podcast, we talk to great founders and we ask them a set of questions that is always identical and it goes across the domains that we think matter tremendously for building successful companies and organizations. And that is tech, growth, people, data, and ESG. Caroline, who are you, what do you do, and why do you do it? Hi, I'm Caroline Weimann, and I'm the founder and uh, managing director of Joint Politics. Uh, why do I do what I do? Well, before Joint Politics, I worked with a foundation building um, and supporting a number of social enterprises until I realized that even with a hundred of these social enterprises, we still won't solve the great challenges of our time because actually major decisions and change processes need to be done through politics. Um, and we see that by far not enough talent and resources flow into politics. And that's why I founded uh, Join Politics, because I saw that there was so much untapped potential. Um, and there are so many ideas, uh, so many people who actually told me, hey, Caroline, you know, um, I would actually go into politics if only I had some time, if only I had some capital, if only I had some support. Um, if only the political structures uh, weren't so rigid that you couldn't implement new ideas. So basically, we launched Joint Politics um, to channel uh, this potential and to support those exceptional individuals with great ideas for politics who deserve to be, uh, to be supported. Tell us a little bit more about Joint Politics. So, so what is it about and how does it work exactly? Yeah, so it basically works a little bit like an incubator. Um, we provide seed capital, network and know-how to political talents and teams. So it's basically the backing that they need to develop their ideas and to implement them politically. Um, we launched um, in November 2020 and we've supported a number of actually quite different individuals with different ideas since then. So um, on the one hand, we had people actually running for parliament with an innovation agenda like Verena Huberts, um, or we uh, support teams who built and tested um, new party structures on a regional level, like uh, the young Luca Pivoda with his team who founded the party FPA in Mecklenburg-Vorpommern. Uh, but it's also people working on solution for uh, model, modern people management and recruiting in the public sector, uh, like TRGCO and Diversity, uh, who developed a solution and are actually bringing it uh, into the structures from, from, from without uh, to make them, uh, to, to scale them basically uh, via, via the ministries. Okay. One thing that is important for uh, a number of the questions that we'll ask later is uh, who is your target group? Yeah, so our target group is really political talents and teams, the people that we scout for and that we want to support. So these are really exceptional individuals with the courage to develop new and innovative ideas um, for challenges that they see around politics um, and who actually go that step and say, I'm going to implement them myself. Um, and I think it's especially that in, in the current uncertain times that we have, that we need really inspiring and trustworthy leaders. 
and leaders with a clear compass of values also, and certain personality traits that will make them successful in politics. And um, uh, the personality traits that we're really looking for are uh, quite similar to those uh, that, a, that a typical founder would have, but maybe go one step further. So it's courage, it's a strong ability to implement, it's resilience, but also a great um, amount of social intelligence and self-reflection. Would you agree that one additional target group are those who actually provide you with the funds? I mean, you, you need to fundraise in order, in order to have that money that you can also provide to these organizations. You're totally right. That's actually the second target group that is uh, crucially important because we can only support the talents if, if we have the resources to do so. So we're really looking for, um, for supporters who understand the importance of this mission, who want to support innovative ideas and talent for politics, who don't want to give their money only just to one single party because they see that the big challenges actually have to be solved across all the democratic political parties. So um, we're really looking for exceptional individuals also there um, who, who can support us uh, with the financial uh, resources. People. Question number one. If you'd start an organization today, what would be your first five hires? So I'd always, especially in a small team, hire people with so-called T-shaped skills. So people who learn quickly can operate effectively across a whole range of tasks, but also excel in one specific area. Um, in our case, this would be uh, finance, fundraising, tech operations and uh, communications. Were these the first five hires that you did? Um, so basically, unfortunately, we haven't done five hires yet. We're a nonprofit organization and still have limited resources. Um, so currently we have three full-time employees and um, it was especially important to hire T-shaped individuals uh, in, in this case. Um, the five function areas of expertise um, that I just mentioned are definitely represented in our core team. Um, but in addition to this core team, we have around 30 volunteers and so-called fellows at Joint Politics. Um, and uh, together we really work on this uh, overranging and broad task, uh, which is talent scouting, selection and support right now. What are the hardest hires today? Um, so I would actually say that our target group um, uh, is the hardest hire. So on the one hand, exceptional individual and teams who have uh, great ideas and vision for politics and also the personality and courage to do it. Um, and on the other hand, um, maybe you couldn't call it a hire, um, but um, the really the supporters um, who, who fit the mission, understand the mission of joint politics and are ready to support it. How do you measure team satisfaction? So if we keep talking about the political teams that we support, um, what we do is really regular feedback questionnaires, of course, uh, regarding the support and the program that we offer, but also in general how, how, how they are uh, going and running. Um, but what's really important for us is really to schedule regular personal check-in calls, um, as this is really where, where the important uh, questions uh, with, with founders come out and, and how, how satisfied they really are. How about performance? How do you measure that? So um, every team really sets at the beginning its own goals and clear KPIs. And, and we track that and challenge them based on this. And what we usually see is that the best teams really set themselves the highest, um, but at the same time also realistic KPIs. 
Um, and uh, of course, uh, especially in our field, a lot also depends on external circumstances. But that's the, the, the guideline that we follow. How should an organization be structured? Um, so organizations like ours uh, should ideally have a very, very strong core that enables um, a decentralized organization around it, where all the volunteers and people supporting the cause also have a high level of uh, autonomy and personal agency um, in order to, to scale. Something that is very, makes very much sense and is clear to an organization like you. But, I, but I, to be honest, I think that could also be an inspiration or, or, or a thought for, for just normal businesses, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Definitely. What's your approach to culture? So organizational culture, needless to say, it is really key to what we do. Um, we have, for example, uh, defined a charter of values um, that guide us in, in our work. Um, and that really all employees of joint politics, all the fellows and also all the supporters of joint politics subscribe to. Um, most important aspects of, of, uh, of this are, for example, the question of mindset um, and, and personality. So uh, really, we, we, we're looking for people to be part of an organization who are highly engaged, purpose oriented um, and with a strong ability to implement and focus on solutions. Um, and a uh, certain aspect, for example, that really define also the way we work and our culture in a daily life is integrity, uh, transparency and fairness. Remote first or office first? It's not that easy to answer. I would say in person first. Um, so a lot of our work depends on personal interaction. Um, so to strategize, to identify talent, to fundraise, to meet the people. It's really about a lot of uh, trust building. Um, that being said, we work 50% remote and 50% in the office. Um, and uh, the fact that actually everyone or a lot of people actually work remote right now enables us to do our work even better because it's easier to, to reach people, to meet people online rather than traveling across the country all the time. Tech. Joint Politics is not a tech company or any sort of tech organization. We agree on that, right? That's correct. Uh, we're, we're not a tech company, uh, but of course, as an innovative player in our field, both we and the people we fund and support tend to be more tech savvy than the average in our space. And we try to become better at it. Um, and we actually, we see a huge upside and a huge necessity in bringing more tech into politics as well. So um, if you look at tech developments like Web3, crypto, etc., we see a huge challenger to politics. And we'd love to dive deeper into what that actually means, um, means for, for a democracy, actually, in the future. Do you have a product or do you have product or development people that are employed by joint politics yet or or maybe also in in the teams that you support and if yes uh, who would be in the lead uh, rather the product or the development side mm. um so basically for joint politics we we have a designer uh philip um who's a, or a volunteer with joint politics and we have a no-code builder joseph who's on our team um, and basically one of our, like one of our, we're only two managing directors, but Philip leads the, the program developing, the, the product development for offering. And uh, also um, we offer tech trainings uh, to our teams. 
Um, usually the teams are so small that they really can't afford a person that focuses fully on that, but that's why it's, but it's still uh, hugely important to have it uh, in, in, in the team. Whenever some tech development has to happen, who decides uh, what that is, what, what's to develop next? So since there is no lead at the moment, we usually decide um, as a team. Which in that size is probably also still uh, fairly possible. Uh, how does the decision process work? Uh, so basically, the ideas usually come back, uh, come up based on uh, on on demand uh, within joint politics or or within the teams that we support, or certain visions um, and 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 topics that need to be tackled, um, and then we basically uh, it, it comes up from from all over, and then we discuss in the core team uh, whether whether we we just uh, try um, to to implement um, uh, new solutions. Um, but of course, it's also then uh, usually a question of resources, whether whether we can do it or, or whether we, we put it on our list to do in the future or with, with uh, supporters. What's your take on product-led growth? So I think the basic concept of building something that sells itself because the user likes it and because it creates a network um, effect is really fascinating. And it's impressive how well it works for some companies. I guess Slack is a great example of that. Um, but it would be super interesting to think about possibilities to apply this to our political initiatives. Um, actually, I hereby invite the audience out there, people listening, to think this through. And if they have ideas, uh, share them with me and how that could work. Yeah, so clear shout out to all the to all the audience. If you have an idea of how to implement product-led growth for such political initiatives, uh, then please send them our way. Which role does design play in your company? To be honest, design is heavily underestimated in, uh, in our domain. Um, so I'm not talking about making something beautiful. All initiatives, of course, have a logo and a front type um, and a website. Um, but if you think about UI and UX and the way that authorities and administrations provide information re and requirements, for example, we're basically, you could say, at ground zero. Um, everybody who's ever had to, I don't know, for example, apply for Kindergeld or Elterngeld in Germany knows that there is just no understanding of this being a product um, that requires UI or UX design um, so that the customer is actually able to use it. So. Um, not the kindergarten, but the forms and the process that you need to get it. Um, and and some, some would actually say they aren't products, but actually we know that they are. Mm, do you or would you outsource software development? Um, so I think um, we currently, um, beyond web development, which we outsource to a, outsource to a small agency that we trust, uh, we usually build our own internal tools ourselves. Um, I think I would outsource more um, if we had the resources to do it. Because it's not so much of your core, right? It's not that you, mm. you define yourself through the tech part. Makes Correct. Sense. Correct. Okay, thanks. Growth. If you think about the complete funnel from brand to marketing, sales, customer success, do you have all these functions? Probably not in, 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 at the size of your team that you have at the moment. Yeah, right. So we don't have them yet. Um, but um, of course, at first, like fundraising is really a necessity for us. And um, since we want to support uh, the best initiatives with sufficient money, uh, we need to do that as well as possible. 
And in order to professionalize our fundraising, we will also need um, all of this, uh, of these aspects and the whole funnel at some point. If you think about these different um, teams, even though you don't have them yet, but um, do you, would you see any of them in the lead? How would you structure them? Who, who would basically like tell the other side functions um, what to do? Well, I would probably see sales um, in the lead uh, because they really have the decisive interactions uh, with those who will provide us uh, with the funds, for example. Um, from there, I would probably say that information should flow down to customer success, um, down the funnel, and then upwards again to marketing and brand so that they can best support um, the sales function eventually. Now, we often then have the problem, so if you have all these functions, then they work together or they should work together, that, uh, well, when things are great, then they're great, everybody's happy, but um, marketing bringing up the leads, sales trying to convert them, um, and then customer success trying to make sure that, that, that the customer is happy and, and returns. Uh, um, but if it doesn't work great, um, then easily silos uh, come into place or maybe they're in place already before and then the blame game starts. Um, how, what would you say, um, how can you avoid these silos and how can you avoid the blaming? Well, in our case, um, currently, and I would hope so that also in the future, um, having a good cause uh, should actually do quite some of the work here uh, to avoid silos. Um, But I think in general, the best solution is really to have an incentive scheme that uh, supports collaboration and not silo optimization. Um, so each function should really maximize results, their own results, by optimizing the final results and not their own silo. Okay. How important is brand for you? Of course, brand is super important. Um, trustworthiness is key to our success, especially uh, in, in, in politics. Um, and we, as joint politics, we really try to disrupt politics in a way, but um, uh, together, um, uh, together, and we have to work together with the, with the traditional um, political organizations and brands. Um, so we basically have to stick out as the new kid in town on the one hand, but at the same time, our brand also has to work uh, in the context of this existing political ecosystem. So how do you approach brand? So our brand has to be strong and recognizable, um, but at the same time, it shouldn't overshadow um, everything else. And by that, I mean, especially not the, the brands of, of the political talents and teams that we support who are really at the front of what we do. So um, I don't know, maybe it's a bit similar to, to your brand at Project A or, or another strong uh, VC brand. Um, you have to be out there. You have to be well known um, also in the investing world uh, ecosystem. But you're also very much working um, As a uh, as a brand um, and for for all your for all your ventures and and their success. Oh, that's actually true. That's a very valid uh, similarity that we have. Marketing channels. Which ones do you use and why? Um, well, we use LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. They are really key for uh, our communication, um, and we use them because uh, that's where we. Uh, where we think uh, online we can reach most of the most of the political talents um, uh, that are out there and interested in in uh, political and social issues. No TikTok yet. No TikTok yet. But coming soon, I guess. Coming soon with your support, Rainer. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, performance marketing, is it dead or is it dying soon? Well, it's fundamentally changing, right? Um, as always, change comes later than expected, but then it comes much more drastic uh, than expected. I think that's also a very German thing, by the way. Um, and the, the progress, for example, that we've made uh, with uh, GDPR is great. Um, but if you give less options to optimization across platforms, you, of course, strengthen the, uh, strengthen the platforms themselves. Um, and if you look at politics, um, Uh, uh, the power of, for example, Meta um, uh, that it had uh, in, the in, the, in the political decisions uh, in recent years was not necessarily a good thing. And Ooh. since we talked about uh, TikTok, uh, looking at that at the moment, of course, it's, it's fascinating, but it's also, uh, it's also very scary. Do you have salespeople? Not yet, but uh, as we said, uh, for fundraising, it's really amongst our next hires. So... Where would you say do you find good digital savvy salespeople? Because even if it's for fundraising, it would make sense. Um, even, and even if you operate in politics, that they have this nece necessary digital savviness, I guess. Yeah, it's correct. So uh, uh, in comparison to, to, uh, to the other startups uh, that, that, uh, that you're interviewing, it's probably not obvious why, why we uh, would uh, need all of our people to be tech savvy. But um, I'm aware that in order to run sales uh, the way it should be run in 2022, um, you will really need people with a sound uh, understanding of, of the tools that support our, our process. Um, and it really also impacts the initiatives that we support. They will need to be more uh, tech savvy in the future. Um, and we'll have to explain this also to our supporters. Um, so where do we find these? I don't know, maybe in the Project A sales graduate program. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's our solution to the, pro to the problem we just said. You don't find them out on the market or not to the degree that we need them. So we just mm -hmm. try to build them ourselves. Okay, so we'll probably send one or the other um, your way in that case. Please do. Data. How does data make joint politics successful? So joint politics really relies on data, especially for making decisions about um, the future teams uh, that we support. Um, and also to ensure uh, that the decisions that we take in the selection process are also as bias-free as possible. Next question is, and I, of course it's tricky, is which functional areas does your data team support? I guess you don't yet have the data team. Yeah, so we don't have one uh, yet ourselves, um, but we see that some of our initiatives have a need just as much as we do, um, but just aren't big enough yet in order to build one. Um, so I don't know, maybe we should build that as a shared service. Um, I'll have to think about that. Um, a data team, um, do you in general think they should answer specific questions by business or in your case, your, your team or the core team, or should they take the data and explore the data in order to find um, opportunities? So we really leverage our data to better understand um, uh, early stage um, uh, political initiatives and politicians um, and also where to find them. And this really requires a combination um, of exploring past data um, and leveraging also the experience um, of our uh, network and finding new opportunities. Standard problem that people have with dealing with data is the data says, do this, 
and then they turn around and do something else. How, what do you think? How can you ensure that people really do what the data recommends? Mm, so um, it's really a calibration eventually based on, on, um, on in, in, in our case, application uh, data. Um, that has to be part, um, like a fixed part of our application process. So within the process, we keep reviewing the data um, to act against uh, our biases in our decision making, and and we try to steer um, to steer um, uh, our our sales also in order to ensure um, that that we don't have these biases. Which in in, in the data area, which tools and infrastructure do you use? So, um, for, so far, we actually use uh, Google Sheets, for example, and, and that works quite well. Um, but I think once we need, we need more than that, I'm sure that we can use tools that are standard out there. Um, in my understanding, this is more and more uh, commoditized, which I think is great because it puts the barrier um, so much lower. Um, yeah, but, but if anyone uh, out there listening to us um, uh, feels like making a case to us, please do so. Okay. How is your data team structured? Well, again, tricky question here, but um, yeah, what 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 is your idea here, and 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 how do you think that will go in the future? So um, at the moment, um, there is our colleague Josef, uh, who leads all the data operations um, from data gathering to processing. Um, if we could have a larger team, a larger data team, uh, then we'd probably have specialists in analytics on the one side, uh, figuring out the needs um, and also specifying use cases, um, but then also data engineers who can implement. Um, specifically in the field of politics, data scientists, I think, should play a major role, um, but it isn't, isn't really easy to decide by whom uh, they should be best employed. Yeah, that's true. Uh, tricky thing. We should actually have another conversation on that. Yeah. Um, if you have a data team, where would you put it in your organization? Would it be like a sub-function of something else or yeah, in a larger organization, where would you put it? Um, so, well, right now, um, with with Josef as our lead, he he's a direct uh, report to me. But then, you know, we're a small team. Uh, even with a bigger team, I'd uh, I'd probably always leave uh, data directly with uh, with the founder or the CEO. Right. Um, GDPR is it a struggle or is it an opportunity? Uh, both. Uh, but we mostly see it as an opportunity. Uh, I think the right to be forgotten is actually a cornerstone of a culture that encourages trial and error and uh, joint politics shares in this culture. Environmental, social and governance. So why, I, I think I can say or ask, why did you start an ESG company? Because I would, I would see joint politics as such. Yeah, I would totally see us as an ESG company, or actually we, we, we go one step further than that. We could call ourselves an ESDG company, um, because our whole purpose is to further social environmental uh, governance, but also uh, democratic um, goals. Um, as we currently see it, business practices can really turn uh, into severe threats for democracy as well. Um, and that's why it's important to include democracy 
um, into the ESG D, DG mix. Oh, very interesting. So what's the democratic aspect of your work and, and, and why is it important? Uh, well, we, we think, and I, I think I mentioned it uh, at the beginning, is that we can um, solve the great challenges of our time, uh, not only with business solution and entrepreneurship, um, but uh, that politics actually play actually plays a huge uh, part of the equation. Um, and if we don't have great politicians and political structures um, who can take us uh, who, who can you know take us along in times of crisis and who, who can who can um, sort of steer uh, the change uh, the fast change that is happening around us um, then then we won't be able to uh, to see change also on the uh, environmental social etc fronts um, uh, and that's why we really work on on finding the greatest talent and ideas uh, for politics. Back to the core of ESG, what does joint politics do in order to help our environment? Well, we really um, have that high up on the agenda because uh, we see that the climate crisis is one of the most urgent and also democratically challenging issues of our times. Um, so we actively scout for talent working on solutions for this. Um, and of course, internally, we also have a number of policies like digital first, avoiding unnecessary travel, taking eco-friendly transport, etc., etc. How about the social aspect? Which which role does that play in the way you you work at joint politics? It's equally important. So I think social, economic, and ecological sustainability are uh, in balance really key to sustainable development of humans on Earth. Let's say and. Um, unfortunately, um, unfortunately, they are not uh, usually given enough attention. So questions of social um, inequality are really a focus of, of our work and where we also scout talents who develop um, uh, solutions. Um, and uh, yeah, so of course, uh, we ask ourselves a lot of questions. What, what does also tech mean for the future of work, allocation of resources, etc.? Um, and internally at Joint Politics, uh, we have a strong focus also on diversity and inclusion, and we make sure um, that a lot of you know very different people from different backgrounds are also represented on our decision-making committees. Very curious about your answer to the question about governance, because for most founders, if you talk about ESG, they think about the first two aspects, and governance, some some are as as uh, open and, and transparent that they say they had to look it up. Uh, I guess you have uh, probably more substance uh, on that specific one also. Um, so governance, which criteria do you follow here and what's approach? What's your approach? Yeah, actually, governance is one of the first issues that we, we thought about when, when founding joint politics, um, because governance and decision-making structures are really of, of crucial importance um, to what we do and, and to politics, of course. Um, so um, we have built a system uh, that enables us, um, like a governance system that enables us to constantly reflect ourselves as an organization and also a decision-making process. So... For example, we have constantly evolving and rotating uh, decision-making committees with a very diverse setup um, uh, in terms of background experience, party background, etc. Um, and um, interestingly, maybe for, for our model is that our investors, for example, they're not part of the board and the decision-making committees. 
Um, and this is, for example, a really important governance aspect with regard to um, to the political uh, space uh, that we're moving in and to keeping uh, independence. Um, another aspect of governance is, is really the aspect of um, transparency. Um, so it's really important to us to be transparent in the communication to our donors, um, uh, but also to the public, um, being transparent about where money comes from, how we spend it, uh, how remun uh, what remuneration principles um, we have. So um, governance is really, really key to what we do, and we also hope to inspire many others uh, to copy some of that, maybe also some, some of the political parties. Uh, certainly some aspects that I think a lot of startups could also think about, like transferring to, to their field. Um, what we see is that a lot of founders focus more on ESG now, and um, then at some point they go into their fundraising. And the question is, do you think it helps them getting funding or from because you're also in contact with, with investors uh, because they support you in a different way, but you talk to them, do you think they they really like it like the focus on esg helps founders to get funding or when it comes to their normal startup investments they just want to see focus on revenue and earning as much as possible mm. so basically um i think ESG. It's a good thing that ESG is becoming uh, to be to be part uh, is, is becoming a crucial aspect, and that that founders have to uh, show that, and also that investors are taking uh, um, putting more uh, focus on on whether uh, on ESG as well. Um, so, as I said, as a nonprofit organization, joint politics, our return is really purely social, environmental, and um, democratic. Um, I think in an ideal world, um, investors would primarily look at these kinds of return. Uh, but of course, we're far away from that. In reality, um, uh, they are really just still often just side aspects um, to investors' activities. And I think personally that this is a real um, uh, problem. Um, and the effects are really also making themselves felt in terms of climate change, increasing social inequalities, etc. So I think that this is really something that we need a, a big uh, mindset change on. And we are uh, also working on this. Um, but to be honest, it's, it's, uh, it's still a big challenge. Is one of your team members officially your ESG officer or, or something similar? So we don't have an official ESG offices, but I, I can actually say that uh, all team members and especially also all members of the selection committees are ESG uh, officers uh, because all of our selection criteria revolve around ESG. If, if a startup is um, actually hiring an ESG manager, officer, however, um, where would you recommend should such a position sit in the organization? Who should they uh, support uh, and, and report to? I think it should really be a core function. So um, probably report to both finance and operations. Last three questions. Which is the one podcast that all founders should listen to? There's uh, many, and I think you're, uh, you're just working on one, Rainer. Uh, but another one that I would definitely recommend is uh, Ezra Klein, um, the Ezra Klein podcast, as he really asks uh, the big and tricky questions around tech uh, innovation and politics. Thanks. 
What are your top two pieces of advice for early stage founders? Um, so, of course, the first one will be dare to make mistakes. Uh, done is better than, than perfect. And this uh, is something that especially also founders in the political field uh, have to have to learn um, because it's not as common yet. Um, and the second piece of advice would really to think carefully from the beginning about the impact that you want to create with your startup and also your personal motivation in doing so. Thanks. Last question and my personal hack for continuing this uh, podcast series. Who are the two founders that I should ask exactly that set of questions and you will make an introduction for me? Hmm. Um, so, of course, I recommend political founders to you. Um, so, on the one hand, I would recommend that you talk to Verena Huberts, who is the founder of Kitchen Stories, um, but also a political entrepreneur who is sitting in the Bundestag right now. Um, and secondly, I can recommend uh, Josef Lentsch. He is the co-initiator of NEOS, which is a new party in Austria, and they have been... Um, Uh, they have been testing a lot of new approaches to building new parties also uh, with regards to tech savviness, etc. And um, that's why I think it would be interesting if you interview them. And I'd be very happy to make introductions. Thank you very much. I'm much looking forward to that. Um, thanks a lot for, this, uh, for these 42 answers from you as a founder to other founders out there. I hope that was a great inspiration. I think it was a great inspiration for for those who want to go into entrepreneurship. And uh, I hope you all stay tuned and come back here and listen in next week. Um, thanks, Colleen. I wish you all the best and see you soon. Hello, podcast listeners. We have some exciting news for you. Our Project A Knowledge Conference is back and happening on October 7th at Kultur Brauerei in Berlin. If you want to get to the heart of the European startup ecosystem and connect with founders, leading investors and digital experts, join us for a whole day of knowledge sharing and networking, where experts from every area of digital operations will share their insights and best practices. This year, we're bringing you an amazing speaker lineup, including Christian Hacker, co-founder and CEO at Trade Republic, Lubomila Jordanova, co-founder and CEO at Plan A, and Philip Glockler and Philip Klockner, co-hosts of the Doppelganger Tech Talk podcast. Apply for a free ticket now or purchase one directly from our website, knowledge-conference.project-a.com. 